0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. What an interesting time we're in. As you know, our last few episodes have been around the current state of the world, the industry, business, um, and that is working dispersed. Now anytime we're working dispersed or slimming our teams down, which is what the conversation is about today, there's there's a high probability for burnout and overwhelm amongst your people. And we address that extensively in this conversation. There's a lot of really helpful information for you to work through this with your people uh, and make sure that you identify burnout and overwhelm early and have the conversations that are needed to combat that. Also in the episode, we talk about the book, the the ebook that Dan has written called The Change Imperative. The Change Imperative is a beautifully written book about change management and how to identify your key players, how to to communicate with them, and and get the profits and the productivity that you want and need out of this time of change, but also invest in your people. So check that out at change-imperative.com. Again, that's change-imperative.com. Grab that ebook. We've got a lot of other cool tools coming there as well. Enjoy the conversation. live live well well, (laughs) welcome everybody back to the conversation the naked leadership podcast this is the place where we get to have conversations and give language to uh some of the thoughts and ideas and and things that leaders struggle with and we get to illuminate them put some light on them and uh right now is a particularly fun time to have this podcast don't you think
1: yes sir yeah (laughs) the the needs are elevated (laughs)
0: yeah Yeah. that's right so, uh, my name's Chad. I'm here with Dan Takini, Adrian Kaler, as usual. Hey, hey. Today, we're talking about um, overcoming or, or, or combating overwhelm uh, when you have either a slimmed-down team or uh, or a dispersed team, meaning you're all in different locations, which most people are dealing with at the moment. Um, so, I wanted to actually read something um, from a book that Dan – that that Dan wrote uh called the change imperative it's a it's an ebook that we have available and it's all about change management within your organization and uh I just think man I can't help but think maybe Dan you're a prophet when you wrote this <laughs> thinking about the COVID days
1: <laughs> right. back in 19 uh, I think I wrote it in 1998 mm-hmm. and then kind of redid it alliteration but
0: so if you guys don't mind, if you'll just let me indulge in some of this language in the in the beginning, then we can talk about it. But this is such a great tool for anybody out there who's struggling right now to find their feet um, and, and find the way to manage all of this COVID-induced change. And it's so applicable to what we're facing right now. So this is the intro of it. It says, an an unimpressed... <laughs> Great start (laughs) An unprecedented prolification of knowledge marks the time in which we live so much so that we call it the information age as we struggle to keep up with the monumental changes that have occurred in the last 20 years. This coupled with the shrinking workforce and the rapidly changing marketplace have challenged businesses, service agencies, and churches to change the way they think, communicate, and deliver their products and services. I've noticed a frustration among business owners, executives, managers, and leaders of all walks of life as they strive to create the changes that that their vision, work experience, and competencies demand. Change is the constant. It is an imperative. In other words, we are going to change intuitively. People know when they need to, to provide greater levels of service and quality but often don't know how to get there. This leads to aggravation for those who desire to excel and wish to advance both their corporate and personal ambitions. Ironically, organizations often flounder or stagnate because of this type of frustration when they possess the very resources they need to succeed at accomplishing their vision.
1: Yeah, the challenge is how to get those resources. On the ground and them working for you, yeah, right.
0: As you, Dan, That's as really you, yeah. As you hear me read that intro again, what, what, what boils up for you given the current situation?
1: Well, I just I wrote that over twenty years ago, and um, I've re, kind of republished it because it kind of redid it because it's so relevant. The change in society's. Obviously, it's rapidly going about, and then now we've got this, which, you know, who knows what this kind of change is going to bring, and one of the things that I was doing was doing a lot of work with organizations that were implementing change and changing the way that they did business back then, and I noticed that there are some principles that if we follow them, if we kind of are aware of them and, and honor them, and, you know, we can actually prepare ourselves for what's coming, right? And, are a number of different things that I talk about in the imperative about just the principles that you can apply and look out over the landscape of a change and not be overwhelmed or shocked with what you're facing in fact you'll be prepared to go okay I get this this is the way that it you know this is part of the change Uh, you know these are the things that occur and whenever you have a change You you know, where do people go in change? How do they tend to behave? And, you know, I talk about the three types of kind of different ways people will come toward the change or the way they'll relate to the change. There'll be those who don't want to have a change at all. They're going to do everything they can to keep it the same. And that's going to be, that's no different now. People are going to refuse to surrender to what's wanted and needed. They're They're the, I call them levelers or resistors and then you're going to have people who are going to drive the change, who dig it, are up for it, want to go for it. They're bought in. Let's do it. And then there's and that that breaks down usually 30% resistors or levelers, 20% people are going to be drivers, and the other 50% of your organization is going to be fence sitters. They're going to be waiting to see which way they're going to land on this change. Where how are they going to deal with it? And the deal is, how do, you, how do you work with that in the organization? And what can you expect, uh, what are the, kind of the, what's the gravity of that kind of situation? Because that, that's what all the research shows. And, and how are ways you can think that'll help you engage it and find resources instead of being overwhelmed by it and, and uh, pressurized and you, know, you lose your resource and then you're in reaction and survival. And a lot of companies go down that way, so.
0: You mentioned resource, and this is something that I've heard you talk about multiple times in front of um, leadership teams, public trainings, all of that kind of stuff. And when you say something to the effect of that, we have all of the resources we need on the table right now. Yeah. Meaning, a lot of us make up the idea that we don't have the resources, we've got to go find them somewhere. Even in the end, as you end this intro, you say, ironically, organizations often flounder and stagnate because of this type of frustration, when they possess the very resources they need to succeed at accomplishing their vision.
1: Yeah, well, you know, think of it this way. You and I have a way of looking at the world, and this is, this is research that's right out of Harvard. Uh, you know, multiple years of research of studying, you know, breakdowns and change initiatives and turnarounds, et cetera. What we tend to do, we, you know, and they, they'll say, they'll, they, they talk about this at, in, in a study from Harvard, there's a number of studies that show, what are the blockers to successfully changing? What causes us to stop? And the number one blocker, the no, there's the top two blockers, but number one by far is cognitive dissonance, or cognitive, the way we perceive the change keeps us from seeing what resources we have in front of us that could be valuable. Like, so an example? Then, an example would be <clears throat> um, we're not used to meeting online and we didn't think about meeting online because we, we, we believe that meeting online is actually less productive than meeting in person. So we don't bother to look at that possibility until it's forced upon us and then we resist it and it causes us to drag our feet and miss all the opportunity in right another another uh so and that makes up 90 about 93 percent of all blockers and change is just the what we make up about what we have at hand etc and we used to go into companies and uh, we went into a particular company I, I i'm not at liberty to say who they are but let's say they were the they were the um, vertical leader in their field and they'd been the vertical leader for 75 years and they didn't believe they felt like they owned 25 percent or 45% of the market, they didn't believe they could, you know, go any further. They they petered out and they didn't think they had the resources to, and they wanted to have a breakthrough. We found the resources to get another 7% of the market after 75 years without having to bring anything new in by just by working with their salespeople, working with their marketing division about some of the logistics there was a lot of people that were involved but just getting people to think what's possible with what they have and how they were engaging their clients and what they could expect from their clients and it was all cognitive most of it the other the other major breakdown is we have a tendency to want when we get into a into a change we want to we start grabbing for what we need without fully assessing what others need and how that can fit together and the minute we start grabbing for what we need or claiming the value we think we need without first understanding the other parties that were involved with our clients our suppliers our vendors we have a tendency to pull back because we're trying to preserve ourselves and what that does is put everybody else on notice and they start to do the same thing like and think about hoarding toilet paper or <laughs> things like that, because people are freaking out instead of really collaborating you know and thinking about how they can collaborate or what's wanted and needed, et cetera. But if you think about that in a company or in a marketplace, a company working with other organizations that they depend on to do business, better to check in and like understand the interests that are making up this change, and how can we how can we work with them? what are their interests how can we engage them in a way that's going to open up resource amongst us that we may not even see how do you and that's really a complex communication that's an invitation to bring like you know because who knows where the other party is and i'm going to engage them and so you know if they really realize that we're better off together than apart then i have an opportunity if i can frame it and have them that be evident that we're better together than apart it opens up a context to begin to start to explore what's possible so you know if you think you're better off alone than with us if i can open up a conversation where you can see you're better off together with us than alone then you'll have a different view you'll have a different willingness a different resource to find possibility in that discussion
0: it seems like Yeah, it seems like there's an element of recalibrating the vision at the moment of change, right? We're, we're checking back in with the vision, and maybe some aspects of the vision of our past vision doesn't line up with the current circumstances. Yes. But but, that's gonna, but realigning and recalibrating is going to open those resources up.
1: Or the way that we were resourcing the situation for that vision is going to change, right? And so, But we don't know what that's going to look like, so now we want to check in with our partners our team, the people we're working with, our customers, our clients, to see what, how those, all of our interests can be met again right, in a new configuration, a new way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was listening to Gary Vee this morning on one of his live chats, and he's taking every single morning, he's doing live Q&As for like two and a half hours just with business owners, and somebody uh, called in from New York, Brooklyn area, and he owns uh, like seven brick and mortar uh, barbershops. And <laughs> obviously, the, his vision of growth and how they operate that day to day right now had to change drastically. And so when all of this stay at home order happened and you, you, know, you could get fined for cutting somebody's hair, all of this craziness starts happening. They quickly shifted to doing haircut instruction videos.
1: it on your own.
0: How do you do a haircut at home? Perfect with the with maybe the tools that you have, or maybe a couple things you need to order on Amazon. It's just anyway. I'm just thinking. Well, it, I'm just seeing this recalibration of vision happening uh, everywhere.
1: I had a client just before we got on this call, and she, they're of course all working from their home. And so she's usually used to going, being able to go into the CEO's office. She's the, the head counsel. And um, they're in the middle of raising a lot of money and trying to figure out how she's overwhelmed. She's got a lot of things on her plate and she's not clear about how to, at the time, how to clear them up. And I asked her, I said, well, why don't you give the CEO a call and see make what she had identified some requests and make these requests of him so he can go get these resources. It was interesting what she said. I don't want to, I don't want to burden him. That's a cognitive breakdown. And I just asked, "How do you know it'd be a burden? How do you know it wouldn't be a, uh, a relief to know that you're on it and that somebody's dealing with it and he can direct you to the resources, or he can free them up, or he can, you know, like maybe he's got some ideas." And she, that it did start to open up for her like, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, there's that's a so for instance, that's a cognitive that would keep her from that resource because she would rather she's concerned more about maybe." keeping her job or making the not wanting to put too much burden on there because she doesn't want to hurt him. There's a combination of concerns cognitively that are keeping her from making the kind of request that could open up resource and take that burden or overwhelm off of her plate and, and spread it out and get some of the creativity from the team on it. Adrian, anything
0: come up for you as I read that, that intro?
2: I thought, man, Dan's brilliant. (laughs) that's the first thing that came out that's a
1: lie you heard it first right wow dan's
2: brilliant first thing second is i had a i had a partner with this guy Um, uh, no i mean that, that was actually the first thing i thought but um i mean this is all very present in the conversations i'm having on a daily basis with people um i mean one one that comes to mind I've had a handful of conversations this morning. There's a nuance to each of them about how this is true. One of the, one of the main ones that comes to mind is a leader, founder, um, starting a business in a new vertical, the vertical that is to come really. Um, and the space she was on, really how she was seeing her world today is 180 degrees different than how she saw her world a month ago when I met her. Yeah. Um, some, People are out. Some people are, some new people are in. Um, So some circumstances have changed. Obviously COVID has shifted things. Um, But more with, how I think to Dan's point, more with how she was seeing things and her presence was so much um, refined now. You know, I just said, Hey, you seem so calm. And her conversations about her partners today, um, was so distinct from how she talked about her previous partners. Um, and that really has very little to do with, I mean, it has some to do with who the partners were then and who they are now. It has a lot to do with how she saw herself in the context of the power dynamics.
1: Like how she oriented them or set them up or how, what she was willing to ask from them or and that kind of thing, right? She's probably approaching it with more of a global or holistic look rather than I just need to relieve myself of this immediate stress. Yeah. yeah. Well, she
2: was, you know, dealing when you bring high level leaders in, you're dealing with high level leaders, you're obviously negotiating with power all the time. You know, yeah. it gets a lot of the stress of a founder or a CEO. Um, they, they would sometimes avoid having the, the quote unquote tough conversations when meeting with a senior leadership team, because if you were to open up a conversation that would reveal how powerful the other people were, then there's a fear that if I open this up, it's going to go somewhere I don't want to go. So a lot of times people will avoid those conversations because they don't want to negotiate with power. And and in that context, they're actually also abdicating their own power, right? So they're making up that they can't be as powerful as, or even, you know, even be more powerful. Like, you know, if they're the holder of the vision, right? If they're the steward of the meta conversation, then you want to engage the power dynamics because then you can steer them. If you don't, then you don't know where the, because the power dynamics are going somewhere. Um, and this, this leader I'm talking about, she's much more willing now to engage in honest dialogue about how powerful her partners are. And that is coming from how powerful now she sees herself to be. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, Like how do I fit? The power comes from understanding how I fit into the, the merit of what we're doing like right if we're better off together than apart then i have some power and it could be material it could be it might be as simple as being able to broker other deals or broker other relationships in there's a lot of different and power is perception right right but it's all it is all cognitive there yeah and then and the, the other the, the so cognitive and then People strategically get, you know, grabbing for the minute you start claiming, everybody starts polarizing. So knowing when to do that. Right. And then the last one is really has to do with regulations and uh, cultural norms, et cetera. COVID is an example of the rare, rare times when something arises up and then it actually stops you. And now you have to work around it. Right? Mm-hmm. And that, that would be more like government and regulations and, and or natural disaster like this, that kind of thing
2: something else that came to mind during the dialogue was another client um, Well, the point was this is that a lot of times in moments of change and transition, what we lose are the are the shortcuts of the previous state so for example, and it came up and it came up in my mind, Dan, as you were talking about the client you're talking about um, another another client comes to mind where talking to another founder. Uh, CEO, um, and she she as she was as she was thinking about the difficulties or the challenges that come with working remotely. One of the things that she naturally went to is how hard it would be because she's used to dealing with lots of people and lots of concerns almost simultaneously. Because she bops around the office and she peeks in here and says this conversation, peeks in there, and what, what it hits me because like that's a shortcut, right? Because proximity is convenient in some regard Um,
1: and it could also be a problem might have even been a problem she didn't even know about right
2: exactly right so now what the now now what the call is is you know to be more intentional and to go and the person you're talking about like that would take more risk than she routinely has to take right so the proximity it saved her from actually having to initiate something because of you know how geographically close they were
1: yeah. And one of the I, it's very interesting you said that, because one of the things I really emphasized was now you're going to have to have a conversation that's even deeper, more complete. That's right. Because normally when you're in proximity, you can come back and keep iterating, but now you want to make the iterations more complete so that when it's, you come back, you can report about what worked, what didn't work, what's wanted and needed. And it was interesting because just the, just the idea that that would, burden somebody that that would be my point to ask her question to her is well. What's more valuable? You know, would you what, like, is it worth risking being a burden to discover what's you need to, you know, to serve the organization and also yourself? Cause it's starting to take a hold of her, her health. She said she's starting to get really, there's some resentment building up because she feels there's too much being piled on, right, and my my point is my 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 question was to her, well, who's making that choice right And she could see that she was and and then it, you know it brings the heart comes up like i 'm going to go have this conversation with the CEO right so which is great, and then we talked about how to prepare for that nurse but if, which, if you get to that point of choice, then you can start talking about how now can we have the conversation to open up the biggest possibility so we can learn where the resource is, right? I mean, it's it's like groping around, you know, that story. I don't know if you've ever heard the story, a guy drops his keys, goes into a house, doesn't know he drops them, comes out, can't find his keys. And he parked his car down the street in the dark. So he comes outside and he realizes, oh my God, I dropped my keys when I got out of the car. And he walks over to where the street lamp is and he starts looking for the keys. And somebody comes out and says, hey, what are you doing? You need some help? He goes, yeah, I need some help, I lost my keys. And they go, great, where did you lose them? He goes, down there in the dark. And she goes, well, why are you looking here? He goes, because there's light here, right? And I'm used to light. And we have a tendency to just keep looking in the light. We don't want to go down into the dark, get on our hands and knees and start groping around for those keys because it's nasty. But eventually you get so desperate, you end up doing it. Why not just start right from the beginning, save yourself some time and energy? And resource,
0: yeah. <laughs> or you're forced into the dark, like this situation, right? There's there's yeah. uh, all sorts of things pushing you into the dark at this point. So that's I think this is you know this was a great introduction. If if you want to read this entire book, you're listening to this, go to change-imperative. com. You can download your own free copy, and we have some really cool things coming up around the context of this book. Um, some trainings, uh, an audio version from Dan himself, which we're excited about. Uh, so there's a lot coming up. So to get on our list, the change imperative list, so you can find out news and resources. Again, that there's that word resources around change and change management for your company. Go to change-imperative.com and grab a copy and be on, be on notification. Um, and I think all of this, is right on topic with talking about combating overwhelm and burnout when we're talking about slim down or dispersed teams. You know, so many companies right now are slimming down and there are some unintended consequences that happen when we start to slim down. Overwhelm becomes, Dan, you mentioned it, both of you mentioned it with two clients today that you've been working with. Overwhelm becomes the default. We go into overwhelm. Um, also, Freak out! yeah, there's a high chance of burnout, right? Because we're overworking the people because we want to keep our productivity up. We want to keep our profits up. Um, and so we end up using people as tools, burning them out, uh, through long hours or, or, uh, you know, with tasks that are over their pay grade. I think it's so interesting, Dan, you mentioned one of your clients is, is in over her head with the tax. That's what
1: she said. That's how she framed it. Right?
0: right, 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 right. That's what she sees. Right. And that's, that's also a nat- another natural option for companies right now is, Hey, let's get a lower paid person in here to get us by in this role. Um, while, while things are tight or while we're a little bit you know, skeptical of the future or whatever.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because that's exactly, so she, she what she said was, you know, my budget's been cut and I, you know I need. Help, and now the person I wanted to bring on full time, you know, I can't really bring them on. I can, but it's not going to be the position they I pitched them. Right? I said, okay, good. What else is possible? Right? Because things have shifted, and so what I what she had decided was that she just have to you know gut this out and do it herself. I said, well, do you still have some budget, right? And she goes, yeah. I said, well. What are other possibilities? And as we talked, as she came up with other possibilities, one of them was I could offer this person more money on a contract. So it's not full-time, but given the situation, they'd probably be interested in coming in full-time, you know, contracted for the amount of money I do have budgeted over a shorter period of time. And that could relieve it, which is something she hadn't even thought about, but she came up with it through the conversation as we, as we asked the questions. But it's interesting because, She was overwhelmed thinking she had no other place she could go, that there was no other option.
0: No resource.
1: But as we started to talk about some of, you know, it's really interesting. We discover, this is what I keep discovering myself. Adrian, you've been great with me this way many times, is discovering, I discover what I don't even know I don't know. I discover, like, surprise when I question what I think I know about whatever's going on and whomever I'm with and the situation. And that takes some presence of mind. So if I'm flipped out in survival, I'm on automatic, I lose my presence of mind. I'm gonna miss the resource. It's in fact it's gonna probably look like a threat.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well I, it's worth even talking about like what people mean when they say overwhelm. Um, just because at least what comes up to my mind usually are when people are talking about being overwhelmed, what usually has happened for them is they thought they were already Full or busy, and then something new is put on their desk. Usually, people say that put on their desk, like dropped on their desk, yeah, exactly. On my plate, plate. yeah. So, I had a story about experience of, and out of the experience came a story about how busy I was, and usually, with that, how impossible this is, and how they don't understand me. There's lots of whole concert of conversations around that, and then there's more in their own mind. More is now we're already too full and now there's more on top and what it came up when you said presence of mind because even what i won't do sometimes because well my first instinct is usually thinking about how do i cram how do i cram more in, right and, and how do i actually try to defy you know impossibility <laughs> instead of wondering about what's the new way to do this you know there's like an inventive because what you know because it's like you know, how, what, how, what am I not seeing to your point, Dan, what am I not seeing that's right in front of me? Yeah. You know, but what, I'm could? Sure. yeah, right in front of me or, or, you know, what, because there's plenty of opportunity to stop doing something or to, but I would then need to renegotiate with my own history that I'm pretty comfortable with yeah. because people love predictability. The brain loves predictability. This is what my job is. This is what my role is like that actually is, Soothing to them, even if that belief about my history is overwhelming to me, I'd le- I'd rather know the overwhelm, I'm familiar with it, than be in the frontier of like something new. Um, and and literally, I was,
1: literally, I mean, the, the, when I say the possibility may look like a threat, every time I asked her to look into something, she would say, "I I just feel like you're having me do one more thing I don't want to do." Mm-hmm. Which I said, no, nah, great, look at that relationship, right?" So. Yeah. How much, I said, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you're not sick and tired of what you have yet. (laughs) I didn't like that, but she started laughing a little bit.
0: Adrian, you said there's always always opportunity to let something go. What do you mean?
2: Well, what I was thinking about is, you know, the renegotiation conversation. So we we need to renegotiate with even the hell that I was familiar with. And if I'm going to let something go, Because I could, in that moment, say, hey, what have I been doing that I don't want to do anymore? Give give an
1: example. Yeah,
2: so yeah. So the the example is, let's say I'm doing 10 things, and now uh, somebody I work with, a partner, a boss, whatever, gave me two more things. Well, I only have room for 10, and now I've been asked to do 12. And if if I actually got honest with myself, those previous 10, there were two of them that I hated anyway, Mm -hmm. right? So... Um, but, I'd, but I'm resisting the new two in order to actually, to, in this moment, like I'm saying, no, I'm full, but I'm actually in that moment, retaining the, the 10. I hope this makes sense when I'm retaining yeah, the 10 okay. with the 10, I'm keeping the two. I hate, instead of saying, hold on, here's an opportunity. Um, there's two new ones, which ones have I been doing that this is an opportunity to let go of. Cause I could then say to my partner or, you know, to a uh, employee or whatever, our employer, Wherever you are in the organization, to say, "Hey, I can take on the new two, um, but I need to do. We need to do something else with these with these other two. Um, like it's an opportunity to get rid of something that you previously hated, that you'd have to be well, willing not, to. A, yeah,
1: which, may not be may not be relevant as relevant as the two things you were given. Or, that's right, you know, or as urgent as the two things you were given.
2: Right? Yeah. So most people don't consider the the opportunity to negotiate with others about the priorities of the new reality that's a that's a mouthful, but most people don't see the opportunity to negotiate with others about the priorities of the new reality so um, in this new context that we 're in real time this day, these needs let 's talk so i hear I hear you say you want these two new things, wonderful. Of the 12 I have now, I can, I, I, as I see it, I think I can get 10 of these done. Which ones are most important? You know, Having that conversation, people would rather not say that, be victimized by the giver of the new tasks, resist it, quietly, usually to themselves, resent, don't perform, resent it, resent it <laughs> right? Resent the new two, and I'm going to do it begrudgingly, and then probably underperform, and I'm going to blame them for my underperformance.
0: Yes.
1: That's right on.
0: You know, instead no, I, of like, I this is this
1: what,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. And this Which is a strategy. It. It's a strategy, yeah. right? Yeah. Because you've got, you're protecting, you've got your story and you got your 10 things and you're like, stay back, stay back. These are my 10 right. things, my story. I'm overwhelmed. Don't mess with it.
1: Yeah. And the two new things are a threat. Even yes. though they might, they might relieve you. They might take care of three other things. You don't know. That's, <laughs> That's Just right. Just by having the, just by having the conversation about the 10 opens up a whole new, at least an understanding that buys time, et cetera.
2: and And if you're, I'm thinking about this for listeners, I'm thinking about this if you're the employer in the story as well, about what conversations you might be avoiding because you think it's easier. And here's what comes to mind for me. You might give somebody two new things and just, you know, naively say, ah, they'll handle it. Instead of checking in with them, hey, here's two new things. Can you get this done? And then being quiet. and Because and you want to check the person's relationship to the new tasks. Yes. Check their, their view of the future now based on the new reality. And if you don't check in with that, you're going to be naive thinking, oh, I know Tom, he's always good at this stuff. He'll knock it out. Well, Tom might be resenting you the whole time and he's going to not do it. And you might pay the price later. You want to check in with that person's relationship to the new like if you know if you're slimming down and aren't having a conversation about or with your employees around how they need to orient themselves to the new reality then you're in for a world of hurt
1: well do you don't understand i don't have time for that (laughs) yeah Then i say well you have time to like clean up the compounded mess later Mm -hmm. like like Yes. Yeah. Which which, what do you want? What mess do you want? What shit? What do you want? The shit hors d'oeuvre, or do you want the shit sandwich? Right. Yeah. yeah well, even I, even right. just
2: the. I mean, how long does the conversation take? Is usually the the question I ask myself, or I ask clients, because they make up that it's a big conversation, is going to take a long time. Um, Instead of you know, it can literally be a two minute conversation.
1: Or fifteen minutes. I mean, it's just framing. That's right.
2: Yeah. It's fr- yeah. And you're just, if you're the one giving the assignment, or let's say you've doubled the workload of of one of your people, you um, you know, and you've given that, given the new assignment, are they up for it? Most people don't check in if they're up for it. Do they even want to do this? Because they don't want to know the answer. But if you, if they don't want to do it, or if they're resenting it, you want to know that because it's not going to get done.
1: You well, know, if but you they... I mean, you're, yeah, you're illuminating really specifically the idea that this new, new potential, giving this person more work, this new possibility, looks like a threat, because I don't want to hear how they might not be able to do it, but in hearing how they might not be able to do it, I can open up a lot of possibility. Like you said, they may, we may discover that there are 10 things or six things they can put off or rearrange or offload to somebody else. So there's a million different possibilities that don't get had because I'd rather not enter the discomfort because I'm afraid that they're not going to do it. So it's kind of like, here, take this hot potato. (laughs) Yeah. I mean the,
0: the the 15 minute conversation where you discover these things compared to however long the project or the task is done half-assed by somebody who resents it. I I mean, the costs are, are uh, immeasurable in that scenario, especially when time and uh, labor and everything is so valuable right now. If you're slimming, if you're in a position where you're slimming down and you're you're shuffling tasks to new people, um, probably the the best maintenance you can do right now is having these 15 minute conversations with your people, asking them, "Hey, here's what I need. Here's what where we're going with this. How does this look in your daily?" work how does this look in your life how does this look in your workload all of that kind of stuff i I mean that could be the most beneficial conversation you're having right now
2: yeah i I see it all the time um oh there's a high price to naivete and part of what people our leaders are naive about is what makes them good um because because the mindset is invisible when when you're in it and here's what i mean by that is like a lot of times when well the example is most of the people I coach, their biggest fear is to be seen as a micromanager. One of their biggest fears, <laughs> right? So they don't want to be seen as a micromanager. And so when they delegate something, they don't have a conversation about the thing that they're delegating because they, they fear they want that they will be a micromanager. Why do they fear that? Because they don't want to be micromanaged, right? So as they lead themselves, they don't want anybody else dealing with them and they'll do it on their own. And, but they project that thinking that their direct reports also don't want that type of management that they label micromanage it so they can avoid it. And I mean, I, I always encourage them, hey, go have a, the extent of the conversation that your person needs you to have with them. Because what we do know is that they don't lead themselves, probably, what they probably don't do is they don't lead themselves internally like you do, because you are the head of the company you're an ambitious person you like a challenge you're going to go after it you're really you're really tenacious you're persistent they aren't that probably at some level otherwise they'd be running their own company yeah. but they don't know that they're not that and they don't know what makes you good part of what you're why you don't want them why you wouldn't want them involved is because that's running for you but they don't know that so you know, go help them think about how they're thinking about it you know so if you're if you're an employer calling people up to a challenge, I would just notice your default on how you relate to challenge, because they're probably not, and they need help orienting themselves.
1: You just sprung a memory. I was consulting a theater circuit many years ago, and uh, they were going through a change. You know, the economy had dropped, and they were trying to figure out how to save money, and they were talking about layoffs and so on. And I said, you know, they asked me if I could support them. I said, well, I need to go around to your operations and, and just talk with the different managers and see what they're doing. And there was a manager I came up with, this guy who's really ran his theater tight, right? He did really well. His, I noticed in the, in the numbers that his theater had the best numbers. In fact, his payroll was almost 7% below everybody else's. The, the, mm. the, the best, 7% below the best. And, um, and like 20% below the worst. And so I went over and just see what he was doing. And then I, I came back and I said, I got an idea. Um, I think we can, this is the example of having value on the table, right? Like you don't have to go anywhere else. I said, if we actually learn what Nick's doing with his theater and we actually do what he's doing in the scheduling, we can save on an average of 10 to 20%, 10 to 15%, I think, average across the board, which would save him about 175000 and in the first year, and, and so we did, but there, here's what they said, no, nobody's going to want to do that. I said, how come? Cause nobody's as good as Nick and, and nobody, nobody's, they're just not up for it. I said, what if, if they were, would you be interested? If it was, what if it made their job easier? Cause when I was watching Nick, he he had more time than all the other managers did. Cause he, all he was doing is stag He was staggering in a very specific pattern. And, and, so all we did was take, I just made Nick in charge of it. And he started teaching the other managers. He loved that. They like him. They looked up to him. And I just got out of the way. And actually in the first year, they saved $110,000, not $170,000 or $150,000. But it was a considerable amount. And it made a huge difference. It actually got me referred two or three times out. But my thing was, it was right there on the table. They didn't have to go anywhere else, right? Just by looking into the organization and the cognitive thing was well he's not going to want to do that and they're not going to want to receive it and it's too much work and mm-hmm. so it was it was really interesting cuz Nick framed it in such a way that they wanted to do the work cuz he was showing them what it freed up right and I didn't have to do anything all I had to do was help him get that thing organized there was nothing
0: mm-hmm. so, yeah it's interesting adrian as you were as you were talking about micromanaging there's an interesting distinction that i've i just had a conversation with one of my clients last week where he was afraid of this very thing. I don't want to, how am I going to have this conversation every single time? And you know, he was, he was really running that racket of like, this is going to take too much time to have these conversations. People are going to think I'm micromanaging them if I'm checking in with them. And my distinction to him or what we explored was what's the difference between micromanaging and detailed managing or connected managing.
1: Or supportive managing, right? Right. Like I care about you. I want to see you win. Yeah, that's right. Being connected to them versus and I, think, I want to make sure you get this done, so I look good. That's a very different context.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. And I think you know what we're taught. Not I think. I know what we're talking about is a is a negotiation, right? We we are proposing the idea that this is a negotiation with the with the folks who work with you, and whenever there's change negotiation and recommitment comes up and so how do we operate in these i mean how do we operate as a manager as a leader as a as as somebody who needs to get profit needs to get production but also stay connected to our people and i think the first step that we're saying right here is uh locate them
1: yeah no when you say that how do you locate them That's like that's what I would naturally ask, well, how do you locate? What do you mean locate and how do you do that?
0: Right. Well, we're talking about actually having a conversation with them, asking them, what's your current workload like? How, how are you feeling about it? What are, what are the things that you're enjoying doing? What are the things you're not enjoying doing? How can we, you know, that's, the, that's a location conversation.
1: So finding out where they are coming from and are at in relationship to their work. Are they resisting it? What are they excited about? What are they afraid of? Kind of getting connected to that. And there's a particular, it's interesting you say that, because in order to get there, you got to know where, what to listen for to to be able to go deeper. And most people tend, we tend to think that we understand each other. I do. (laughs) I like, Mm -hmm. instead of checking in on what you're saying, like asking you to explain terms that we think we are understanding on the same basis but if I ask you like when you said locate well what does locate mean right so we we chunk that down now I have a sense of what it meant to you and then I can contribute what I had and now we have a you know we're on the same page we often stop and we don't ask the questions about those labels to understand what they mean so that we can really Mm -hmm. connect with the other person that's where the detail comes up that organically reveals a, a resource we may not have recognized up until that point. And that takes some, it doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes what, what am I listening for? How, what are the terms I'm just taking for granted? The nouns, basically, the labels that you're using that I think I know and, you, and I believe we're on the same page about, I might wanna check in on. Like I'm overwhelmed. Well, what do you mean? What are you overwhelmed about? What's caused your overwhelm? You know, like what's it? Give me a shot. Tell me what's going on there.
2: Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking about a client um, who just had a big surprise this week. That you know, one of her direct reports, who's a senior leader, um, anyway, been not acting in good faith in the company, and so now she's going in and she's fired that guy, and now she's going in and what I talked to her about this, like time to go locate the team because there's lots of people on the team that knew what was happening and what, weren't talking about it. And, so, and um, you know, he's oh, a really good com- I,
1: I can tell you where that, they're over at the, the, the water tank talking about it.
2: Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. where you locate. Yeah. And, you know, and this is, these are types of, these are all the types of, so now what's required of her if she wants to make it through this and was to keep these people, is to go have the conversation she she knew she needed to have before and was avoiding them because, you know, nobody runs this level of con without, I mean, under her nose without her not wanting to see it, right? So now she needs to go locate, you know, these people on the team, and that is, you know, having an honest conversation about what what they weren't, where she wasn't, what, what, questions, what questions she was avoiding, where they were, why didn't they speak up? You know, there's ways to do this morally. And that, that if you have a moral conversation like what they should have said, people are going to go underground. And instead of just exploring, what were, what were your concerns that told you not to tell me? You know, what were you thinking about me? You know, what was missing from me? Because I was just thinking in, in all these transitions, you know, at, let's say we slim the team down. Uh, What what will be revealed, one of the things that will be revealed is how much trust is in the organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm. And that'll show up with how much forthright honesty there is about what's happening, what's not happening, what needs to be happening, who's involved, you know, where, how much they depend on, you know, other people on the team, how much they avoid certain people on the team. All that stuff is going to come to the surface, but it will either come out passive aggressively or you know, probably naturally it'll come out that way because people would rather avoid. Um, but you, but to part of locating is to, I guess, labeling or, or giving people language so they can talk about their experience that they're probably scared to talk about.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Like what happens, like, for example, let's say there's a team of 15 people and they need to let go due to current budget constraints of three. So now we're down from 15 to 12. Most people are concerned if they're the next one. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Right. So having a conversation about how to stay is going to be really imperative because it'll let people know where to go instead of what to avoid. Most people don't navigate, don't illuminate the path to winning. They usually, if they leave them to themselves, people are going to be playing not to lose, playing not to get fired instead of playing to stay. You know, playing to like make enough value that there's no way they could fire me because, you know, look at me now, look what I'm doing. So that's part of locating is locating, locating where someone is, but also where they want to be. Because like on this team that I'm talking about now, I mean, some people are already gone and they're, you know, there are, I mean, because you only behave in that way. Uh, if you don't really, um, if you aren't that really connected to the mission the broader mission beyond personalities, you know, so part of locating is getting like helping people talk about their resistance, helping people talk about um, what they don't want to talk about. And if you do that, if you give people freedom to share it, like you're not going to punish them for a perspective, like you're not going to punish them for having a concern or not going to punish them for not, not trusting you as a leader. I mean, I, I said this to this client today on the phone. I said, I, I get how you go underground right now and not trust anyone. I understand. And you might, we just start working together. You might not trust me. That's okay. I'm not offended. If you don't trust me,
1: yeah.
2: you know, and, and that, I was just letting her know if she's got skepticism about me, that's okay. I'm not offended by her skepticism. But, I'll, but even when I said that, she says, Oh no, I trust you. What? So I, I, I spoke my, my, I guess to wrap, my point is I, I as a leader in that conversation, um, wanted to label the thing that she might not want to say out loud so that she could agree with it if it was true.
1: Yeah. And you, the more you can do that, the more you actually make room. You actually, It's like being able to say no. If somebody can say no, they trust you immediately. But yeah. if they can only say yes, then they're going to pick up your agenda that you're not going to, you don't want to hear no. You only want to hear yes. So they're going to get suspicious and backed up. That's why, You know, it's great to get to that know as quick as possible (laughs) because it's it's actually at that point, you can create the trust and in that trust, learn more about what's wanted and needed to open up resource or what, which way do you go,
0: right? Yeah. What I'm hearing you, what I'm hearing you talk about, Adrian, is a true open door policy. When we're willing to actually locate people and create that kind of honesty with each other, that is what a what an open door policy is most open door policy managers right now are like yes my door is open to you as long as you're going to come in and tell me what i want to hear
2: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah. this it, it, it is is more than an open door policy it's a go and get them go find them policy
1: it's a deep listening it's a deeper listening it's a listening for what's really there not just what i want to hear right and when yeah. people because you think about it, it with, otherwise people aren't going to be transparent, and then you're not going to locate them. You're going to yeah. only have a ghost, somebody what they think you want them to be. And then they're going to go back to who they really are, and you're going to be disappointed and frustrated and wondering what's wrong with them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something coming up in that current survey that we have out to all of our all of our clients right now is that they are conforming most of them are conforming to who they think the leadership wants them to be rather than who they are and that's that's a side effect of not being located by your leadership team
1: and not wanting to be located not yes right because there's something in the culture that says this is not okay to bring into the light so it undermines it, it it creates a very low grade resistance that undermines and and if you will frustrates the fullness of what needs, what can happen. Right. it's like, why are we always behind? Why are we lagging when we, 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 we ought to be ahead of this deal. Right.
2: Yeah. I, I was just writing down as we're talking, like there's a big difference between having passive complaints and own concerns. And, and, and I think part of this work, especially in times of transition, um, is the uh, natural natural move, I guess, the drift of humanity is to have passive complaints. This isn't what I want, and there's nothing I can do about it. Or blame. You know, uh, blaming somebody else for what's happening for me. And that's... So part of locating folks is also locating what they make up about the difficulties. Because if they have passive complaints, then... Then they're, then they're not going to be that engaged. Which you, which you, if you don't have an environment where people get to share the concerns, but share them through a lens of ownership, like I have this concern, <laughs> yeah. not like this concern, like this is what's happening to me, like here's my concern. You know? And if, if you're not asking for that, then they're probably going to be passive complaints because so they're going to have the concern, make up that you don't care, make up that you don't believe them, make up that, and then they keep them underground. And that is, you know, starts to you know, uh, taint the, the well or whatever you want to say. But if you want people to have concerns, but bring them up and own them like it, it's theirs. And what might I not be seeing as the leader? And share me. What are your concerns? Especially if you, if you give them more opportunity to grow, which is also another way of saying putting something else, putting something else on somebody's plate. It's an opportunity to grow. But you want to, vo- hey, are there any concerns that you have that I'm not aware of? And asking that question sincerely, like, what, is there anything I'm not, anything I'm not seeing? And you give them the opportunity to voice the unspoken concerns, and then you can vet them, right? Not all their concerns are real. Not all their concerns are constructive. Not all the concerns are, you know, important right now. But if you, if you don't give them the space to do that, you can't help them vet them for themselves because they're doing that on their own. When you're not around, you want them to do that when you're around so you can help them see them and help them make those decisions.
1: Yeah, I can ask, what do, you want, what do you need from me? Like, is there that's something you right. need me, right? Like, am I not seeing some? because they may not want to ask that. They may not want to be a burden in their mind. They've, like, if I think I ought to do this, and if I ask you somehow, I'm copping out on my responsibility, then even though I'm, it's not working for me, I'm not going to ask you, right? That, that yeah. whole cognitive thing, I know for me, that's, that's sabotaged me a number of times, and there was much more available than I have imagined.
0: Yeah. So if we're if we're looking at this as a negotiation or these conversations as a no- negotiation we locate okay, I
1: mean, the... let's define negotiation just yeah. So people... Negotiation let's define it as this. Any communication that's designed to influence or persuade another person. Great. That's how basically that that's basically the you uh, at Harvard Business School that's that's kind of what they land on. Is any communication it's not. It's not necessarily the transaction. When you're doing, you know, I'll, you know, when you start making offers and and that kind of stuff, that's more transacting. But most of negotiation happens up way before that. Like, how are we persuading each other and influencing each other toward a goal, right? To have yeah. something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I love. I love the frame of negotiation around this because it brings. Hopefully, from that frame, it brings both of you to the table. You've got you both have something you need to accomplish or want to accomplish, um, and you have to create some sort of connection, some sort of an agreement or commitment together to get this to to both to have it be win win, right? And so, if you come to the table without locating somebody first, without yeah. knowing where they are, you're you may be in New York and they're in San Francisco, and more more now than ever, I think maybe not. That's not, it's very important now to locate people on a regular basis because change is happening so fast and we're not physically with them. And we can, one person can be committed to the cause, can be committed to the company, the mission, everything one day. And then the next day they find out that one of their family members is sick and that becomes their main concern. And you didn't locate them to know that. And that stress and that overwhelm starts to affect their work. They start to resent their work because it's taking them away from the family. You, know, you just wouldn't know that and you can't be a resource for them unless you're willing to dive into these conversations. Yep. So in that negotiation process, Dan, what's, what, where do we go once we've located them?
1: Well, I mean to locate a means to really understand not only where they're at, but their interest. Like what are they where are they headed and what does it mean to them? Right. I I know nobody wants to talk about anything that it doesn't mean anything to them. So you might have a great project that you want to give them, but if they can't see how it's gonna benefit them in some way, how it's Mm. gonna either forward their gift and put maybe maybe it puts them in a better position in the organization, maybe they make more money. What What interests matter to them in a way that by doing this, it's going to forward that interest? Because, you know, people, you know, it's it's that, I know as a leader, one of the things I used to struggle with a lot with the team is, do I really want to talk to them about this? Because they may not, they, they, I want to get them on board, but I'm afraid to hear their objections but their objections are usually coming out of the concerns they're afraid aren't going to be met. So those are the things, those I've learned, that those are the very things I want to hear because maybe there's some way to reconstitute this thing so that they get met or maybe those interests can be met in another way that I'm not aware of. They're not aware of, but we can't find that way if we don't illuminate them, make them very distinct and then rate them. What's the most important interest and next and next, and next, next, that can help me, see how to put something together that could possibly meet both of our interests right? in my mind as I'm talking with them. Right.
0: Yeah. And for, for anybody in cells, uh, I don't know if you guys have had this, this, uh, this inkling, but for me naturally in, in a, in a cell situation, I want to avoid the objections. Like naturally I yeah. want to dance around them. I don't want to bring them out right I, because those are the things that might kill the cell.
1: That's but what those, gets there. That's the smarmy. That's the smarmy, right? That's why everybody goes, that dude doesn't care about me, even though he's really nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When it's the objections that are going to create the connection, that's going to allow us to create something worthwhile and valuable.
1: Yeah. You get behind the, and actually the objection is a negative of the, of the interest that they're, they're looking to get served. So if you can get into it, it you're going to learn a lot more about them. It's like, It's my brother used to say, whenever somebody brings up an objective, I go, No problem. That's no problem. Tell me more, or No problem. Easiest part of my job, right? Like, like that's the kind of attitude you want on when somebody objects. Like, I got it. Another one is like, you would say, I wouldn't, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. Well, I wouldn't expect you to really, you know, because if you go, if you can just relax with them and be okay with wherever they're at and let them make the decisions they're going to they're going to bring you to where they want you to be and most people will and when i'm working with somebody on a team if they don't want to go somewhere then i want to find out where they do want to go and can that fit in how does that and if it doesn't then they probably shouldn't be there if it doesn't if there's no way we can really serve their interest why would the the only reason i'd want them there is to serve me and that's not going to work or serve the team and that's going to ultimately result in resentment and and i'm going to pay penalties and I'm gonna pay prices with penalties and interest down the road. So by, by coming into the, the concern first, I, can, I save energy and I open up possibility. And, and I reduce the kabuki theater that we tend to get into to try to manipulate or handle one another to get what we want mm-hmm. uh, and it produces suspicion.
0: Yeah. So in, in in each of these, uh, ultimately, what we're trying to get to—not ultimately, but in these conversations and in this time, what we're trying to get to is the commitment, right?
1: Yeah. What
0: are what are we committed to? What are you committed? Are you are you committed to taking on these tasks? What's that going to look like? And how how do we get to that commitment in a clear and concise way? I think we can wrap on this on this point or unless there's another direction you guys want to go to leave with people as we're talking about working with slimmer teams and overwhelm and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, to package this all up, it's so incredibly important to get that clear commitment from both you and them be clear going forward. Um, but also getting a commitment doesn't mean that we don't talk about it again.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, the other thing is, too, is what kind of commitment are you going to get? And that really determines, I think, I've experienced the quality of the commitment I get has everything to do with the conversation that leads up to it. So if I'm not willing to hear no, if I don't trust that they're going to do what they say, et cetera, and I'm just trying to manipulate them, the quality of the yes I get out of that is distinct from the quality of yes that I would get from somebody I've really vetted their concerns, I've vetted my own, we've worked together to talk about it and we've come up with an agreement that's going to work, then that yes is very distinct from the yes of somebody who just wants to get me off their back, right? And, you know, like that. It's just, they're different yeses. That's,
0: a, that's an incredibly interesting distinction between types of yeses. I just, I hadn't thought about that.
1: Like the old corporate nod. Yeah, yeah, but inside you're going, <laughs>
0: that's
1: right. get out of here, get out of my office, leave me alone. Whatever you say, it'll get done. That's right. Or, you know, versus a good maybe there's a give and take and, and there's because look if I if I can express my overwhelm to Adrian when I'm when he's asking me to do something, he can help me think through what 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 can I do or what may I put on the back burner that he might be expecting that may be secondary to what he's asking me to do. Who else could I involve that may be enabled to maybe enable me to do everything, et cetera. There's a lot of options that open up that could relieve a lot of my initial overwhelm if I'm willing to vet that concern, right? That, that be that transparent, if you will. Yeah. And you know, people say, well, then my, well, Adrian may not be open to it, but then I would know. I would would rather know. (laughs) (laughs) Then I would know, and that would tell me something else. Maybe, you know, that might lead me to wondering if I want to work with Adrian, right? Uh Or, at least or maybe do I want to be you know, like, what do I got to do here? What's next?
2: Yeah. Well, our Adrian might not be open to it right now. Yeah. Based on his concerns right now. Right. Because right. You, al- you could also say, you know, what do you think about these ideas? What do you think we could do something like this? Should, can I bring this up again next month?
1: Yeah, I'll go, go until next month. Let's take a look. Let's see what we can get. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Great, great point.
2: I'm thinking about, I mean, a lot of times, i think the what's what what leaders call hard one aspect of their role that they call hard is that they handle they live under the pressure financially that their employees don't and you know cuz they're they're naturally if they're at the top they're responsible for the thing working they're responsible for paying payroll they're responsible for all these things and because they live under that part of it is a little bit of like complaint about how their employees don't get how hard it is to be them. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about during the times of transitions, I think this is the opportunity to really share. I mean, because if they come on hard during transition, come on tough, come on like high like um high pressured, that is due to something because the stakes are higher now. And it's I think it's just worth talking with your team about the stakes. Like, hey, because, you know, you might not have historically talked about the financial setting. Um, But if, you know, the employees are scared, that's what they are. They're just scared. They're concerned about their families. They're concerned about their kids. They're concerned about their spouse. They're concerned about their well-being in the future. It is a gift to you and to them to talk about what's at stake. Hey, guys, if we don't pull this off, we're going to be in trouble. And if they don't get what's at stake for the company, then, you know, increasing their workload by 15 percent will just seem like it's just more work for them to do. But if you frame out what's at stake, if we do this together or if we don't do this together, then you're probably going to evoke, you know, invite people to get engaged because the meaning then has gone up. and. You know, well, I, I, it comes to mind just because I think there's opportunity here for leaders to get out of the isolating experience. Like there's an opportunity. And I think your, your people, I mean, your warriors, right? Your, your people that really want to fight for the, for the mission will come to play during this time. But you need to invite them to come to play. Because um, at least, I don't know, that's a little bit of my natural bend because I, I like a good challenge. And if a, if a leader comes to me and says, hey, this is nearly impossible. Uh, I don't think we can do it, but you're my best shot. I mean, I literally, a leader told me that 10, 15 years ago. And that was the best thing to do for me. He's like, hey, I think this is impossible, but you're our best shot. And it's like, hold on, I get to be the hero. That's what you're inviting me to be, is the hero. I'm it. <laughs> you know, and not know. everybody, not everybody, you know, has that like complex like I do, but there's, there is.
0: <laughs> a little, uh, a little look into Adrian's rackets right there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But at the same point, you know, it's like, it, I think what's, what's available there is to help people understand, you know, cause at least it came up when you were talking about meaning, Dan, and like, if you can frame the purpose of, you know, the shifts that are happening, and why it's important for us as a whole. I mean, there's an opportunity to partner together like never before.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You said that I was sitting on the porch one time, smoking cigars and drinking some whiskey with a friend of mine. And my son had just gotten out of college and he was just sitting there. He's smoking a cigar with us and we're talking. And this guy was a, he's a construction litigation expert, right? He's a witness and he he often makes presentations in court. And he was complaining about, there's just no way to get 5,000 or 10,000 documents and be able to dynamically display them because they, they have to decide which slides they're going to use before they put them in. And then they don't know where the conversations go. And there might be information and in documentation that they can't retrieve to rebut the argument. And he was talking. We were, he was lamenting to me over this. And we were just sitting there talking. And, and, and <laughs> my son says, well, Warren, that's not impossible. And the guy goes you just got out of college how do you know he goes well I, I no need to argue why don't you give me two days and I'll show you like we can do it and if I can't do it no problem if I can then you pay me ten thousand dollars for the, to come in and work with you on this on this deal and the guy goes I'm, I'm like <laughs> good and he did it he did it but he it was interesting because Warren didn't believe him but it was great the way he handled it he said uh, this, give me a shot. Let me show you what I can do. And let's see what we can get done. And he ended up working with him doing these high-end litigations. And all his job was to do is take all this documentation, make it available to him in the courtroom when it's happening. And of course, you know, multiple people wanted to know what he was doing afterwards. And Warren's like, no, this is mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but, you know, pretty interesting that it's the same thing as like, when you start to put out what you're struggling with even if you put it out there like it's impossible you never know what kind of resources that have come back and help you think through maybe you know but because you had the courage to communicate your struggle you know yeah. with one another.
0: yeah yeah that's great well i think this is a good place to to end the conversation i think there's a lot of value here especially as we start to think about how to Be in tuned with the possibility of burnout and overwhelm on our team. The the probability is high right now. And if you're in tune to it, you can catch it. You can have these conversations. Um, Go to change-imperative.com. Get the book. um, Get on our list to alert. uh, We're going to be putting out some other really cool tools that you're not going to want to miss. Thanks so much for the conversation, gentlemen. I'm I'm honored as usual.
1: Thank you. Bless you, man.
0: All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining the conversation today. As usual, if this conversation has helped you or entertained you in any way, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. This helps us reach more people, and especially in this time of forced change, we want to reach as many leaders as we can. So that brings me to my next point. The greatest compliment you can give us is sharing this podcast. With the leaders in your life. Uh, We want to make a difference and and really help lighten and shine light on the burden that is leadership right now. So please share this podcast far and wide with those who will benefit from it. We hope you're all well and safe at this time and will join us next week on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.